Howdy. Welcome to Healthcare Ain't Easy, presented by Chris Matthew. I'm Chris Matthew. Today, healthcare can be exciting one day and confusing the next. It can be awe-inspiring or it can be terrifying. And with AI now part of the equation, this always leads to more questions than answers. I've spent the last two decades navigating healthcare in various ways, and I'll be your guide as we explore how AI and technology can come together to impact healthcare positively for all of us. Through our conversations with respected thought leaders like we have today, we're going to explore where we've been, where we're going, and how it affects the way we live every day. Ultimately, healthcare ain't easy. We hope that listening to this podcast and listening to the ideas that we share will revitalize your optimism in the future of our industry and ultimately our ability to care for all humanity. As we continue to explore the challenges the healthcare industry is facing, and it is facing lots of challenges, we know that there are many things we have to figure out. But we also know that with good communication and collaboration, those are the first steps for a successful outcome for us all. My why is to connect with people so that we may boldly contribute to an improved world. Some may say that seems too generic, but I challenge myself daily. How often do I go out of my way to genuinely connect with people and want to take those connections to work towards doing big things? That process fills up my cup and it is a primary energy source for myself. So I do see it as my why. If you happen to be generously sharing your time with us, what's your why? What's your drive? What's your purpose? What motivates you? Drop us a note on our social channels. Connect with us. I would love to learn. What is your why? What am I excited about right now? This episode. This is episode 10. And we have an amazing guest today. I know that seems silly to be excited about 10 episodes of a podcast. But the guests that I've had the opportunity to share this time with, They've taught me and energized me in meaningful ways. It's my why, y'all. I'm so grateful to share this 10th episode with all of you. Today, we have with us Chris Hamilton. Chris, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Chris is a partner with Hotchkiss Insurance in Texas, managing the employee benefits practice within his firm. His focus is on working with clients to improve profitability and valuation by helping them rein in runaway healthcare expenses. Lots of you know exactly what that feels like. In his advising and finance experience, he's helped clients in a range of industries from private equity, equity, global manufacturing, oil and gas, automotive, manufacturing and transportation, to name a few. In his spare time, he enjoys traveling, working out, live music, and spending time with family. Really happy that you're here. Thanks for joining me. Now, something I want to start with is something that we're both huge fans of, a way that we start our mornings, cold plunges. Now, why in the world? You start your mornings off with a cold plunge, Yep. as do I. Share with us, why would you choose to do that to yourself on a daily basis? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. And it's one my wife asks me every time when she sees me going out into the backyard to do it. And, and it really starts uh, w- with my doctor. Uh, I started seeing a, a concierge or a DPC physician years ago, and she started having me do things like fasting and sauna and cold plunging. And she kept explaining these health benefits that you have by subjecting your body to extreme things. You know, she talks about getting out of that comfort zone. And there's something about 
cold shock proteins and free radicalization of particles in your body or whatever. But the really the reason I do uh, the cold plunging is one, you you know this. It's almost euphoric, not when you get into the water, but when you get out, <laughs> and uh, it, just this general sense of feeling good. And my doctor says it has something to do with dopamine, but. Um, I just have a general sense of well-being when I get out. It's it's almost a euphoric feeling, and so for, that's really the biggest reason why I do it. I hate it uh, when I'm it's, I dread it when I first wake up in the morning and I'm walking out. And the, the thing that I really feel, and I heard somebody say this online at one point, and I thought that's this is a silly reason, but it's literally the hardest thing I'll do in a, in my day. And it's not uh, mentally hard or I'm having to think through a problem or physically hard, like picking up some heavy weight. It's, it's just really hard to convince myself it's yesterday was 33 degrees outside on my back patio. My water was at 39 degrees when I got into it, convincing myself that I needed to get into it. And I was going to push myself to get into it. There's a sense of accomplishment that you get when you force your body to do something that you do not want to do and you feel good when you get out. And it, I feel like it helps me just jumpstart my day. I completely agree. Something that uh, we share with our boys all the time is, we can do hard things. You can do hard things. And sometimes I have to tell myself that, hey, Chris, you can do hard things. And I go through that same conversation this morning. In fact, I'm asking my wife as she's leaving, I'm like, should I do a cold plunge? I'm negotiating <laughs> with myself, right? I'm yeah. And I'm hoping she's like, you know what? You know, you've been great. Take, take the day off. With absolute commitment, 100%, absolute, you need to get in the cold plunge. Yeah. So I jumped in and I do this thing where, I spend the first minute just focusing and capturing my breath. And then I do these little negotiations with myself just 30 seconds longer. And I do that until about four minutes. And then at that point, I know that I can make it to five. And then and then I get out. And I, like you, I feel so focused and so fired up to go pursue my day. And I'm in a, I'm in a level, uh, a zone of thinking that I just, I can't be interrupted. Nothing stresses me out. I am just... I'm on a mission with a great purpose and it feels incredible. Yeah. When we tell people about it though, they think that we sound crazy. I know. Yeah. Especially when we're talking about getting into 39 and 35 degree water. Yep. Now share with us, Chris, a little bit about, um, give us the highlight reel. Where are you from and, and what helped shape you to become who you are today? So, uh, I'll give you kind of the 30 second commercial here. I grew up in Southwest Houston. I went to school in West Texas. A lot of my friends were from the North Texas area. And so when I graduated, uh, it was right around the time that, you know, Enron and WorldCom were collapsing. The job market was really tough. I decided that I was going to kind of strike out on my own, you know, breaking away from family and whatnot. And I moved to North Texas and I got into banking and, and finance. And uh, through uh, a, a career that I had there that spanned a little over 15 years, uh, you know, I'd met a lot of people that helped kind of springboard me into the industry that I am. It's just experiences I had with clients and with others within the health insurance and healthcare industry that helped springboard me into this, this business about a decade ago. And uh, so, yeah, I, I live in North Texas, uh, have a family, and uh, I'm a partner with, a, with an insurance brokerage. Yeah. That, that banking and finance background. So what, what were you actually doing? Like, what were you doing for your clients? How did, how did you uh, practice? What was your practice? Yeah, so it ranged over the course of that 15 years. Uh, in the later years of my banking career, I was doing M&A financing, uh, doing some international finance, cross-border transactions. Uh, I had done, as part of that M&A work that I did, I actually worked with a big 
insurance brokerage, helping them go out around the country and acquire smaller, which is a big trend that we see in the insurance brokerage space. And so I saw how they made money and monetize those transactions. I saw how they did business with carriers, uh, you know, heard directly from their leadership, what their strategies were. And it really helped me kind of understand because that was happening at the same time that the Affordable Care Act was being passed and phased in to, to law as being enacted. So we really had to understand, okay, in, in, at very first glance, the ACA we thought in, on the banking sector was going to completely collapse health, health brokerages. And the health brokerages are telling us, no, it's gonna be a boon to our business. And so really understanding the why behind that. And then when you take the kind of 30,000 foot view of that, you realize, wait a minute, that's not actually going to be good for the business community at large. And so in those interactions and dealing with some of these businesses and starting asking my clients about ACA and health insurance, it really highlighted to me that there was a real business opportunity for somebody that had a contrarian point of view on the market to come provide solutions and help companies achieve their goals. Chris, I, one of the conversations we had before we met today was uh, around Michael Porter's five forces model. Mm -hmm. And um, I wonder if you'll talk about how, how did you incorporate some of that thinking pattern into what you used to do for your uh, finance and corporate clients and how you bring that thinking pattern over to the employee benefit space? Yeah, that's a great question. And so, you know, Michael Porter is a famous uh, author and business school uh, professor, and he had the philosophy of Porter's Five Force. That's what it was named. And it really talks about if you want to understand what's going on in a particular industry is if you understand these dynamics of what's going on, uh, the, the existing competitive landscape. Are we talking about an industry that has two competitors or are we talking about an industry that has 2,000? Right. So you're going to have a different dynamic if there's true competition of 2000 uh, competitors versus two. Right. right. Two, two employers or two competitors have a different leverage. Right. Sure. How many uh, suppliers are there? How many um, customers are there? Is there a threat of a diff of a substitute product? And so when you kind of lay out and map these things out, it really helps you understand where does the power lie in a particular industry? And when you think about health insurance, and then you think about health care. A lot of times people confuse the two. They're two very different things. Health insurance is how you pay. It's one mechanism that we use to pay for health care. Health care is going to the doctor, going into the hospital, getting a prescription medication, those sorts of things. You, we use health insurance. We also use cash. We use credit. We use a number of payment plans. We use a whole different the number of things that we can use to pay for healthcare, but they're very different. And oftentimes people confuse them. But if you look at both of those industries, there's two very interesting things that are going on. One is there's a lot of power held by a handful of people. And what I mean by that, if you just look at health insurance, if you just look at the carriers that we have in the market today, Blue Cross, United Healthcare, Cigna, and Aetna, we have Humana as well, but they're not really in the group market, which is my focus. But recently, there was a, a lot of people were up in arms about Cigna trying to acquire Humana. That ultimately fell apart because people realized this was going to be bad because it was going to put more power in fewer hands. But then when you also look at health care, go to any major market, right? Look behind us in these buildings behind us. There's one or two major hospitals in every major city that you go into, and they control most of the, the market share, most of the pricing power with insurance companies. But the second thing, which I think is even more onerous, is there's very little transparency of what things cost and the quality that's delivered. So if you have an insurance plan, there's been regulations that have tried to address this, but it's not 
perfect. It's not usable. It's not easy for people to get access to what does something cost using my insurance and what does something cost if I walk into a hospital without insurance. And if you put that into context, you can't go into McDonald's and buy a Big Mac without knowing what does it cost, what are the ingredients that are in it, and what's the nutritional information. And I would just venture to say that people care more about what kind of heart surgery or hip replacement or procedure, what's the qualifications of this provider, what's their history, what does it cost? And that information could be provided, just people in the the, the, the market has fought being able to provide that or being willing to provide it. So Porter's model is a way for us to challenge and it sounds like it's something you used in your daily practice. Applying Porter's five forces and, and what you learned from your corporate clients on the finance side, is that what drew you to employee benefits? Was that the thing that you said, this has got to be done a different way and I'm going to go ahead and dive in and try to do what I can to contribute to making this better? It's one of the things that I used as part of my evaluation of going into this industry to figure out what are the dynamics. And there are a lot of things going back to the the Chris Hamilton 10 years ago entering the industry that, that Chris didn't know. That, that I know now, right? But as part of that due diligence, it's determining, okay, I, th- these are the things that I see. This is what I think. I have a hypothesis. W- where do I see opportunity? And really, uh, the opportunity that I saw was this threat of the substitute product. You know, the, the market is conditioned to believe that insurance has to be done this one way. It's a box that we live in. And I've made a living and built a business around showing employers you can have something that's even has the name of what you're used to, but there's a different way to build it that actually serves your interests and your goals. So that was part of the process. There's a great question that we can find on display on the Benefits Insider website, your, your company website. Does the cost of your business health insurance ever make you feel left in the dark? And then there are these three areas that the website touches on. Can you share with us those three areas? uh, And why are so many of us comfortably being left in the dark? Yeah. So I always ask the question. And the reason why I specifically ask that question on my website is because that's what I hear from employers when I meet with them. And they're expressing to me their frustration of rising costs. They're having to reduce coverage. And they want to know why. And the answer that they get from the brokerage community is your your claims are up. Uh, you've had a big claim or a series of big claims. The insurance carriers are raising your premiums. And, you know, the other carriers, the other three that we go to just don't want to quote or they're not competitive. Okay, well, not only why, right? And that's digging below the layer of a high claim. Okay, well, what was the claim? Is there anything I can do to influence the cost? And that comes more to the what now. So when you think about the three things that you mentioned on our website, they're the pillars of the benefits insider approach. And so the very first one is to remove misaligned incentives and conflicts of interest that exist in the marketplace today. And what I mean by that is we have been conditioned to believe that everybody is acting in the same best interest and we all have the same common goal. But there could be nothing further from the truth when you're talking about health insurance and healthcare. And what I mean by that, if you look at how insurance companies profit off of companies, we'll just talk about companies specifically at this in this juncture, but they profit the more we pay for not only health 
insurance premiums, but in many cases, when we pay more for healthcare, and I'm talking specifically about prescription drugs as one example, there are a number of these insurance carriers that have gotten into this vertical integration model where they're not only the insurance carrier of the network, but they're also your physician group. They're also some of the clinics and facilities that you go to. They own the PBM. They own the PBM. And if you look at what they are paying for medications, they're exorbitantly priced compared to what you really should be paying for those medications. And so you take a drug that was $55 using your insurance, you can probably with a different PBM or paying cash or using a coupon program, you could get that drug for a fraction of the cost. And the cost of those drugs accumulate over the course of the year when you multiply it times hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of medications, it becomes very big money that we're not even talking about surgeries or some of these yeah. other procedures, but you see that the carrier has limitations on profit they can make based on the premium that you pay. So they've got to find a way to jack up the cost and they can profit from the cost. That's where all the money is made by these carriers. If you look at their financial statements, um, you can go look at them. They're publicly traded. You can go look at CVS Health, which owns Aetna. You can go look at Cigna. You can look at Optum or uh, United Healthcare and, and Optum's unit, which is their healthcare division, which owns the pharmacy benefit management, the most profitable um, sector division of those companies. Yeah. the, the Just the example of the prescription drug cost savings. My, my, our oldest boy is on a monthly medication. It used to cost us over $49 a month. We now get it for $8 a month. We use, obviously, we use the Sniffle RX discount card that's in the Sniffle app. But the fact that it's pulling from four PBMs and can give us that price comparison is huge for us. But that's not something that everyday people know or have in, in their back pocket or on their phone to know that. And I really like on your site where you guys talk about your premium is the carrier's profits. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that is as direct as it gets. So wait, when my pre premiums keep going up, it's not that the doctors are making more money. It's not that the advanced practitioners are making more money. It's not that the nurses are being better mm -hmm. cared for. There's more breakthrough technology being applied into the system. It's that these management entities are collecting more revenue for themselves. Yeah. And I think when you look at the, the equation, right, uh, if a pharmacy benefit manager, we're going to pick on those for just a second. But if you think about what a pharmacy benefit manager does, it's a contracted price for medications. Optum does not manufacture medications. They don't distribute medications. Um, they're not doing research and development. They're simply telling the pharmacy, this is what we're going to pay for the medication. And there's usually a difference between what they're taking from the employee and the employer. So we use the $50 example. There's $50 that's being charged at the pharmacy, but there's a big cut of that that's coming back to Optum as a profit margin. They mark the cost of the drugs up, and so they profit from that. So when we look at all of this inefficiency that's built into the insurance delivery model, you know the, the insurers will tell you, well, we don't make that much profit. Well, technically, on the insurance division, you may not. But when I look through the rest of your company and I look at, all these other units that you own that are not capped, the profit margins aren't capped, that's really where the money is being made. And it's money. And the reason why this is so important, and I always try to explain this to employers because they run businesses, they understand you know, business management. Every dollar that's spent by an insurance company for healthcare has to be collected in premium plus enough to cover their profit. And so if a company is going to incur a million dollars in healthcare expenses that the insurance company is going to pay, that insurance company is not going to be able to give you a premium of $700,000. They'd be losing a lot of money in that case. 
they're going to have to charge you $1.2 million or $1.3 to cover all of those costs plus projected risk. So that's why it's so important to understand what's driving healthcare costs. Address that. That's the real lever. And if you address healthcare costs rising and you're able to lower those, you can lower the insurance premiums and insurance costs. So that's the first piece of this is removing misaligned incentives. The second piece of that is uh, creating this a, a system where you can buy things the most efficiently. You're creating these programs to help employees um, access healthcare that's you're making sure you're paying the right price. And there's a number of things that we do, whether you're talking about direct contracting, you're using independent PBMs or pharmacy benefit managers. There's a whole host of strategies that we use to do that. And then the third prong of this is how do we get employees that want to want to become part of the solution? That's creating this incentive and reward program. And so employees, will they care about, I mean, yes, they love their employer. We, we like to think they do. Uh, we think that they want to act in the employer's best interest, but sometimes they just say, I've got a benefit program. I'm going to use it however I want, however I'm used to using it, which is usually fine, right? But what if you were able to incentivize an employee to the point of, Chris, you need to go have this major procedure. If you use your insurance card, it's going to work the same way you've always done it. It's going to be your deductible and your out-of-pocket. And by the way, for some employees, their deductibles are and out-of-pockets are five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars but by the way, we have these programs to help you get the exact same healthcare, the exact surgery, the exact medicine. And if you're willing to use these other programs that we've bolted onto your benefit program, you get access to all that at no out-of-pocket costs. It's free. So if you think about this, right, you, the first step is, is, is removing these conflicts of interest. Because I can tell you this right now, those big insurance carriers, if you're with them direct, say you have a fully insured program, they're not going to let you do number two and number three. They won't let you do that. It's, it's contrary to their business model. Right, they make money. right. So you remove the conflicts of interest and misaligned incentives. You build the program that allows employees to access healthcare services at a much lower cost. And then you reward them for using it by waiving their costs. We even have employers that have gone as far as to paying employees a bonus based on utilization of those programs. So you need to have a baby and you go through our care coordination program. Not only is your baby born for free and you get a bunch of diapers and all these other things, we're going to give you a cash bonus depending on how you did it, right? So some of our employers, they'll pay upwards of $1,000 per procedure. Wow. To get, and think about cash bonus to somebody. Uh, you're going through cancer treatment. You're going to for sure hit your out-of-pocket maximum, your six, seven, eight thousand $8,000. Using a direct contract for those oncology infusion services, you can make $1,000 every time you use it. It could be eight to $12,000 of additional cash income that, to that member. That, that individual is bringing home, not paying out. Yeah. For that maximum. So, so contrast this scenario here, right? I, I'm diagnosed with cancer. I have a $5,000 out-of-pocket max on my health insurance. So at the very least, I'm going to spend five grand. But there's probably going to be a pathologist or some sort of clinic and, and service provider that's not in my network. So I'll have some out-of-network costs on top of that. And uh, on top of that, I may have missed time from work. I may have to travel. I may have these other expenses that I incur. This is not only am I, is it a very traumatic uh, diagnosis to have to figure out how to deal with my health and get cured. But now I'm having this additional financial strain that employees who have been through a traumatic uh, diagnosis like cancer can understand. But what if you were as an employer able to kind of flip the script a little bit and you're able to deliver the care that they need in such a way that it saves so much money. And what I mean by that is you think about an infusion uh, procedure that might cost 40,000 or maybe $50,000 in a month or per treatment. A lot of times you can get the exact same treatment 
for 50 to 70% less. So you might get the same thing for 15 to $20,000. And you've just saved the insurance company a very substantial sum of money. That's where they get the money to be able to pay a reward to somebody and waive somebody's deductible. So now the flip side of that is, if I go through those programs, no longer do I have that $5,000 out-of-pocket cost to access those services. I now have some reward that's going to help compensate me while I'm using those procedures. So I could actually be a net plus to my financial life to help me get through that time, not having to worry about finances to pay for my treatments. Yeah. And so it's just a, it's a complete shift. And oftentimes when I meet with employers, they're, they're completely flabbergasted that that's even possible, but there's that much waste abuse. I like, I, I've thought hard about using the word abuse, but we do see abuse happen quite a bit and I call it overbilling. Um, but it is abusive and inefficiency. It's unbelievable that healthcare and health insurance operates like it's 1999. It's, you know, we're, we're not, you know, I welcome AI to be able to come in and help automate and, 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 and sift through and pull out efficient inefficiency. Uh, but there's that much of it that if you can capture it, there's a huge reward to the company and the employee. Yeah. A tremendous, a tremendous impact for the employee. That, again, the emotional toll of going through a significant diagnosis is one thing. Then the financial aspect of saying, how in the world are we going to afford this? And, you know, medical bills constitute a primary driver for bankruptcy in this country. That's right. So then I need to be focused on getting better. You need to be focused on getting better. But then this burden of this financial thing that's about to crush you, all of that cannot contribute to getting your body aligned in a place of harmony for, for proper recovery, right? So I think these things are really powerful. My my brother, who, by the way, he, he believes he invented sneezing into your elbow. He's, he's claimed it. Um, he's like, I came up with this first and I don't understand why people don't give me more credit. But he asked me during his recent open enrollment, he's like, how in the world is my contribution each month going up? How is my family deductible going up? And we haven't had any major incidents. We've gone to the doctor this year for just preventative stuff. We've had a, a couple colds. How can this be going up 20 to 30% when we haven't even used this? And so he's saying, you've got to get someone here on this show to be able to help us understand. We know healthcare ain't easy, but why in the world is this allowed to happen? And how come the employer allows that to happen? Um, I'm sure he's not alone with that level of frustration. And so I want to ask if you can speak to that concept. How is that allowed to take place? Yeah, uh, and I think it's a, a really good question. And it's one that I think a lot of people are asking and have been asking for years because what your brother is experiencing is what so many Americans around the country are experiencing as well. So I'm going to, let's go to the root cause. And the, the root cause of rising health insurance premiums is rising healthcare costs. Okay, so I think that's that's why we always talk about healthcare. So you think about blockbuster treatments. There, it's a blessing that we have the ability to cure things that ten years ago weren't curable, and we have the ability to prescribe medications that we didn't have to treat chronic conditions. And there's so much medical innovation and technology that's available to treat things we couldn't we couldn't before. You know, we're, it's, it's the most advanced our society's ever been when it comes to medical capabilities no and doubt. treatments, right? But we have to pay for it. 
And as we start looking at utilization of these uh, procedures and medications, the, the costs are mounting and insurance companies are having to come up with a way to pay for it. This is, I'm giving you kind of the quotes, right? Insurance company have to pay for it. And so premiums have to rise to cover those costs. Now, if you think about uh, the average family, I mean, I mean, really when I look across all of the clients that we work with, there's this math that we use. People have heard of the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. In healthcare, we call it the 90-10. There's about 10% of, the, of a population that's gonna drive 90% of the cost. So the majority of the people that have insurance on any given year, they're not really gonna use it. They're there to help subsidize the people that are. And the hope is, is as you have this group of people buying insurance together, because an insurance company is not insuring one individual person, they're insuring a group of people. It's the law of large numbers. It's the law of large numbers. Do you think about homeowner's insurance, right? right. And I won't confuse the, the example here, but the idea was a bunch of people will, it's expensive to rebuild your house if it burns to the ground. So let's just get a bunch of people and we'll create this insurance. All of us pay into it. It's not likely that my house is going to burn down, but uh, somebody's is, and we're all going to pay for that person's house. And then, Correct. and then the year that it happens to me, then that insurance is there to help pay for me. It's the same way with health insurance. It's all Correct. based off of what an insurance companies expect they're going to have to pay out for other people's health care. And it's, it's, a, it's a, look, we're biological. Uh, the, 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 I heard somebody say this quote, and it's always resume, resonated with me. There isn't any one of us that's going to get out of here alive. And before we pass, we're going to drop a dime on somebody's insurance, whether it's Medicare or whether it's a group health plan, because we're going to end up either in an emergency room, in a hospital, or we're going to end up with some major form of care. Your number is going to get punched at some point. That's why we have health insurance. Right. <clears throat> and so, uh, so I, would, I would just say, to answer your brother's question, he may not be using the insurance, but there's somebody else that he's subsidizing that is. And eventually, at some point, it may be him. We've also seen this uh, occurrence of healthy people decide, I'm no longer participating in that. I'm not going to buy insurance anymore. I'm going to self-insure. I'm going to buy my own uh, catastrophic coverage that's cheap and then find other means of taking care of their health. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it all comes back to what what do insurance companies expect they're going to have to pay for other people's health care? You're absolutely right. None of us are getting out of this alive. Although some people think, today I was on an interview with Ernie Anastos of WABC out of New York City. And he asked, Chris, with, with the, you know, add, adding AI to healthcare, am I going to be able to live to 150? It's like, Ernie, I hope so. I think there's a lot of variables that are going to go into this, but I do know at some point we are meant to move on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, but in that process, I, I think you're absolutely right. There's going to be high utilizers and we need people that are low utilizers. It's the whole premise of insurance, period, right? Mm -hmm. The law of large numbers really helps that. Um, one, one question that, that I think comes up is that how can an employee, if they feel like this is getting out of hand, how do, how do they activate an employer or how does an employer raise their hand and say, I need to be more proactive about this? What's a starting place for them to understand how to go pull these levers or even identify that there are levers to be pulled? Yeah, that is a great question. It's one I've spent years trying to figure out how to break through. It's just part of a, you know, getting a message out and, and doing business development. But the, the one thing I hear frequently from uh, clients that, that come to us for help, and many of the clients that I've written and done business with over the last I've caught five years have come to me from large national firms. 
And the, the biggest driver of them coming to me is they've reached a tipping point. Health insurance costs are too high. And, and it's gotten to the point now where they've gotten an increase. I just left an employer's office uh, earlier this week who their premiums went up so much this year. Uh, it was like 28%. It was a pretty large group. Wow. And so if you're spending you know a couple of million dollars a year, 28% is a lot. And that 28% increase, you know what that represented? That represented they were no longer going to be able to pay their bon- the bonuses to their executives or their management team. There were no company bonuses this year because of the, the, the cost of uh, health insurance increasing so dramatically. They had to figure out how to pay for it. Um, I've met with other employers who've delayed uh, expansions and acquisitions and buying new equipment and those sorts of things because of the cost of their insurance. And so a lot of times... I am introduced to these folks at that time where they've said, you know what, we've tried the same thing over and over and over again, and we are not getting a different result. What else is out there? And that's usually when an employer will, will engage us just to hear a counterpoint. And so to answer your question directly, there's usually some event that happens because I mean, I've never met, I don't say never, but it's very infrequently that I will meet somebody that doesn't love their broker. I mean, brokers are great. They're, they're, they, they take you play, to play golf and they buy you lunch and they ask about your kids' uh, sporting events and they're just nice guys. I mean, I've not met a health insurance broker that's not a nice guy and easy to talk to and likable. So everybody loves their broker, right? They just don't necessarily like what their broker brings to the table. And so there has to become a pain point where they say, you know what, Jim, I love you, but you're not solving my problem. We've done business for 10 years, but I need a different set of eyes. I need different opinions and solutions. And that's usually when we get involved. That's a perfect segue here. Disruption is not an easy thing for people to just wake up and say, I'm ready to disrupt the way I've been doing things for the last 10 years. I'm ready to get rid of Bob the broker or our friend Tom broker. um, And I'm ready to bring in a Chris Hamilton. You know, we met through Spencer Smith, great, great guy. um, And I was listening to you on his episode of Self-Funded with Spencer. And y'all and it's you all and lots of others here in the industry that are intentionally trying to bring a different message to employers and say, there Mm -hmm. is a different way for us to do this. When an employer says, okay, I'm open to the disruption. I'm I'm ready to get rid of Tom Broker. I'm Mm -hmm. ready to do something. How, How much friction does an employer have to be open to? Do they have to say, we're about to go through a radical transformation or is it something that you can do a lot of the grunt work for them? How much pain is this going to cause an employer? Because yes, tremendous savings can come from this. Yes, possibly incredible benefits can be given to our employees and we can make life better for them. But also I'm a CEO or CFO or VP of HR and I've got 10 big initiatives and I don't know that I have the strength to go through this level of transformation. How do how do you all help an employer say, we've got a plan and we can make this, can it be easy? Or does there have to be friction-filled pain for this just transformation to happen? Okay, so I, I really appreciate that question because it highlights one of the biggest objections that we get uh, from employers. And so there's this misconception that and you use the word disruption, that's a word that I frequently hear, is this disruptive? And so there's a couple of different layers of disruption we should address. Is it disruptive to your relationship with your current broker to hire me? Yes. 
You're going to have to fire your broker. You're going to have to fire your broker to hire me to fix your problem. That's this, the disruptive part. So when I think about what we do at Hotchkiss Insurance and really specifically with the Benefits Insider Plan, there's a continuum, if you will. So I'm a big believer of meeting clients where they are, and I use what's called a crawl, walk, run strategy. And so a lot of times employers that do not want any disruption at all, they want the same. They want no disruption. There's an easy way to implement some of the facets that we use within Benefits Insider. And then we have some employers that say, and, and thank, thankfully we're in Texas, it's you know, pull, pull up here by your bootstraps and guns a blazing. We're going into this thing full bore, like give me the full Monty. And uh, there's a lot of cool things we can do when somebody tells us that and we roll our sleeves up. That is more disruptive. And in between those two options, there's a number of things that we can do. So for most of our clients, we're implementing a three to five year strategy to kind of phase it in, if you will, so that it's not disruptive at all. But the, but the program that we're most known for, it's what I do for my employees at Hotchkiss Insurance. We have 180 employee, 180 employees, not just across the state of Texas. Now with remote work, we've got employees all over the country. I have a very standard looking plan. In fact, if I showed you my ID card, you would think I was with a major carrier. And it's because I have a national network. Think about any of the, the four big carriers that we talk about, Blue, United, Cigna, Aetna. I mm -hmm. use one of those, we use Aetna. Um, we, we're not with Aetna directly, but we, use, we rent their network. And so uh, we were with a fully insured carrier. The benefits I have today look identical to what I had when I was with a fully insured carrier years ago. So the employees haven't lost anything. In fact, their benefits the same as what they've known and loved. Our premiums haven't gone up to the employee in years. And it's because not only have we taken the benefits that employees know and love, we've added benefits on top of them. So you go to your employees and this is an opportunity for our clients to say, we're going to, we're going to give you the benefits that you're used to, but now we're going to add so much more to it. And that's where employees get behind it and say, wow, really? I'm going to be able to access a physician at no cost. I'm going to have medical procedures at no cost. But by the way, those are the things that help lower the cost of healthcare, lower the cost of claims, which yeah. keep things. So really, it's not disruptive. You're actually enhancing yeah. a benefits program. You're enhancing the experience that your employees have. And so I go back to that 90-10 rule, right? So if you have a company that's got 100 employees, when I think about that 10% of the population, the 10 employees that account for 90% of the claims, there's really less than five that really need some sort of intervention. There's somebody undergoing cancer treatment. They've got dialysis. They're taking a really expensive medication. They've got something big going on. And that's an opportunity for us to come alongside that employee with a care team to help them navigate the health system. It's so complicated, as you know. Uh, and at the same time, for those handful of people, it's not disruptive. It's actually an enhancement. It's helping them solve their biggest problem, which is getting access to the healthcare, and it solves the company's problem at the same time. So when you think about the total universe of those employees and members that are on the plan, it's business as usual. I've got a card that has an ID, a logo, and I've got an ID number, and it works like they've always worked, but we're helping those handful of people that really need it, and it helps the company at the same time. <clears throat> when you say that you all can come alongside an employee who's going through a really difficult health uh, episode mm -hmm. and you can guide them through that process and you can show them not only ways to reduce their cost, but maybe even eliminate their cost. What a way to be able to re-enter delight back into the healthcare system. Because I think a lot of people, other than the day that your children are born, 
mm-hmm. which is a very joyful and very joyous day. When people say healthcare, there's there's a little bit of a cringe. There's a little bit of a Heisman that you know you're always like you're cautious. Mm-hmm. But if there could be ways for people to lean into this and say thank you, I'm I'm looking forward to going to get this. I'm looking forward to participate. I'm looking forward to be proactive and preventative because of all of these reasons. That, I mean, that's that's the incredible. Like I feel like you would have reached the pinnacle if we can do that. And you're saying that's not something that's off in the distance that is future state. You're saying that that's available today, now for employees and employers. Oh yeah, that that exists. And that's expanding nationally because there are a number of brokers and advisors that have just said enough with the way the system works. We know where the inefficiencies and the problems are. We're building businesses that help address that and navigate clients away from it. And I think the biggest differentiator, and I mentioned very early on, uh, early in the conversation, a lot of my clients have come to me from the bigger national firms, and it has to do with the way people make money. So we talked about how insurance carriers make money and they profit off of rising claims and prescription drugs and yep. those sorts of things. But when you look at the big national brokerages, right, these are the people that we trust. We got Tom Broker. We love Tom. He brings great donuts, right? <laughs> but how does Tom make his money? And it's usually a commission. If he's not making commission, maybe he's making a fee. But the biggest money that they make is contingencies and overrides coming from those insurance carriers. So to put it another way, Blue Cross or United Healthcare is paying big bonuses to your broker to keep you with them at the renewal. Bring us business and keep it with us and don't move it. And if you have to move it from fully insured, make sure you self-fund it with us. And I will challenge anybody that's, if you have any, you want to see how this works, if you're with one of those big carriers, whether you're fully insured or you're self-funded, ask your broker or ask the carrier this very simple question. It's very likely that you have a very expensive medication that's being covered on your plan today. You need to ask the carrier if they will allow you to help that member get patient assistance. There's man, the man, drug manufacturers have foundations that will give that medication away to some of your employees for free and removing that cost from your company's health insurance program. I'm gonna, this is almost like Matt Damon in Air, if anybody likes that, that Michael Jordan movie. It's a fantastic movie. So I'm going to tell you what those carriers are going to tell you. You ready? No. Why? They make a lot of money. And some of these drugs, I had one just recently that we picked up. Uh, the, the, the member was taking a medication that was $750,000 a year. This is, the manu- this is a company that... What? This is a company that spends about $2.5 million per year on health insurance. Okay. Immediately, our first tactic was we're going to carve this pharmacy benefit away from the big national insurance carrier. And we knew because this member made, you know, under this a certain income threshold that they would qualify. And that medication is now provided to that employee's child for free and is no longer being run through that company's health insurance program. And it's reduced their cost $750,000. Now, that employer, congratulations, uh, and that's just one example of of what you, what can be done. That's a really recent one, but think about that. This company is spending two point five million dollars on healthcare claims. We just cut seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars out of it. What do you think their renewal is going to look like? What do you think the employees are going to see at that renewal? I'm going to spill the beans. It's lower costs. It's better benefits. It's it's it, that employer also now having. 
that ability to do that expansion, to pay bonuses out, to launch that new division, to go recruit that new transformational leader that's going to take the company to the next level. It's more options, which is really powerful. Um, Wow. Okay. There's lots that people can learn from this process. Let me ask this question. Where do you see advanced tech and AI being able to support and enhance employee benefits? Wow. That's a great question. So I think about the amount of data that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And it's, you know, we have underwriters and actuaries and clinical staff that help us review the data and make determinations about where we should focus our efforts. And I see that process becoming so much more efficient because a machine can be taught. The simplest form, you can take um, Power BI or um, Tableau or one of these others, but bolting on AI to that to say, here's this universe of data. And it could be a project that would take somebody a month to go through and really understand. What are the top three things that I need to know from this file? What's the top three things that are happening here? And what can I address using these parameters? I have this network and I have these contracts and I have this pricing. What are my areas of opportunity? And what would take a consulting team weeks to go through will be done at the snap of a finger. And so what it's going to allow us to do is to bring solutions much quicker to market and give better guidance to employers. More informed insights, Mm -hmm. um, faster and then allow you all to free up your human capital to do things that only humans can do, right? To provide that empathy, to provide that solution mindset, to listen to an employer or an employee when they're having that really difficult time. So we're definitely aligned when that we see AI as a tool to help people do more with less. Um, where can Chris share with people, where can they find you uh, if they want to learn more about the Benefits Insider path and you and, and your practice at Hotchkiss? Yeah. Um, so I've got three different places you can find me, actually four. Uh, our website, which is hotchkissinsurance.com slash Benefits Insider. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I was one of the original people. That's how old I am. I've, I got on LinkedIn at the very start. So it's just linkedin.com slash chamilton. Uh, you can just search Chris Hamilton at Hotchkiss. You'll find me. Um, I've got a TikTok where I post videos about what's going on in healthcare and health insurance. And I also have uh, a YouTube channel called Benefits Insider, where I share more long form content for employers and others in the industry that want to learn specifically what we're doing. I give our strategies away. I believe that there's a societal benefit for all of us to share what's working in the in the ecosystems that we work, what's happening in our industries. Because I believe if I, and I'll just go off on a tangent here real quick. I think about what health insurance has done to the the United States economy and just the, the, the average American. You know, you think about somebody that's got a family of four making $80,000 a year. They're spending about 20,000 of that for health insurance. That's a quarter just for insurance. And then when they get sick or hurt or have a medical event, they're spending another five to eight out of pocket. And that's money that is no longer going into college educations, retirement, vacations, new homes and cars, all the things that the American dream is built on that's been taken to pay into a broken system when there's so much, uh, such a better way to do this that can provide more for less. And so I think there's a societal benefit to sharing this. So I do that on my YouTube channel, Benefits Insider. I'm giving away at at my website. I give away that playbook. My whole goal is to help advisors around the country, help employers around the country solve this problem because it's going to help our economy. It's going to help the individual citizenry. 
in the United States. And I think it's something that's so vitally, vitally important to our society. I appreciate that. I think uh, we share this mindset of if you give, you will gain. And if you give it all away, you will be rewarded for those great efforts and great intentions. Um, Chris Shembra is a Wall Street Journal bestselling author. He wrote uh, several books around gratitude. He is the gratitude guru. Thank you, Chris. He asked this phenomenal question, and it is, if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? Hmm. That's a really good question. I've had a number of mentors, and technically, I think I'm supposed to say my wife, um, but I'm going to go with my dad. And my, my dad, he passed away in June of 2020, and I, I never thought that he was going to pass. He was diagnosed with cancer, and it, he just went downhill so fast. And I really don't think I gave him enough thanks because he taught me everything that I know. My dad didn't know anything about health insurance. By the way, he didn't know much about business. He was an engineer. But I think about the things that he taught me about um, tenacity and hard work. He had a lot of sayings. He was in the Army, and so he some of them are probably not safe to use <laughs> here. But I think back to a lot of the things that I do today were because of him. And I didn't realize it. Uh, I really realized it once he was gone. And I, I, ca- I catch myself doing things on a daily basis and think, oh, that's my dad. My dad taught me that. Uh, you know, or I'm going through a hard time dealing with a problem. I'm like, oh, my dad taught me how to deal with this. And uh, I just really wish I, uh, I could thank him. And I think the takeaway as I'm speaking this out is I have kids. And sometimes when I talk to them, I wonder if they hear me because they just look straight ahead. But... <laughs> It gives me comfort knowing that there's going to be a point in their life when it resonates with them and they're going to remember that. But it's also a reminder to me to tell the people that you love and the people that you appreciate on a daily basis because you don't know when the last time you're going to see or be able to talk to them is. That's powerful. Um, I'm glad you got to have that type of influence in your life. I I shared the same influence with my dad and... um, Definitely wish I would have had more opportunities to say thank you to him. But I do very much focus on how we interact with our boys. Um, there's an a incredible role model that I have to be able to portray that and to remind myself that it may not be until years later that they come back and recognize us. But I think that they will the way in which I did, too. So kudos for you for modeling that. And uh, thanks for, to Mr. Hamilton for the great model he set for you and your siblings. This is Healthcare Ain't Easy. There's a lot to uncover in this episode. There's a lot to unpack in this episode. I think you should reach out to uh, Chris. LinkedIn.com forward slash C Hamilton. By the way, nice. You must have been there pretty early on. But if you are interested in learning how to bring this concept to your employers and say, hey, HR team, maybe we could look at some of this. Or if you are in HR, if you are a benefits decision maker and healthcare continues to get more and more complicated every year, Chris, but there's also other great advisors out here that want to help organizations take back healthcare. Um, Connect with Chris, and I know if he can't help you, that he can help you find the right people. Healthcare ain't easy, but it does require a community of people that want to connect and want to collaborate and want to find purpose and helping people move forward. We are grateful for your time. Thanks for joining us here for episode 10. We'll talk to you soon.